good morning, everyone. Here at F1, for those of you watching online, glad you're uh, doing that and joining us, uh, and down in F3 as well. Um, glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, again, a warm welcome to you. Uh, glad you're, um, you're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, typically, we work our way through a book of the Bible here at Fellowship Bible Church, and um, I've mentioned that in a, coming up in a few weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Acts, start, starting through the study of the book of Acts, and we'll see how long that's going to take. But uh, the last uh, few weeks, uh, the summer, we've done some things a little bit differently. And uh, in August here, we have been trying to focus on our core values. Uh, we believe that the church exists, as our uh, mission statement says, to prepare and deploy dependent disciples of Jesus Christ, who change their world for Christ as they're being changed by Christ, preparing and deploying dependent disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, uh, followers of me. So the question is, what, what does a disciple look like? And We've, uh, there, there's many things that could be said about the, the qualities or characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ and what God calls us to. We've summarized those here at Fellowship Bible Church into what we call our five core values, uh, five qualities that should distinguish uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, five core values that we want to build into and inculcate into the lives of, uh, of uh, people here at Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, we've got those on the stage. So we've looked at the first two, loving God and loving truth. Those are the vertical core values. Godward, loving Him, knowing Him, loving His truth. And then last week we began the, the horizontal um, outworking of that vertical love, starting with loving the family. And um, today we want to broaden that to loving the, the church family. Um, we are uh, unique people, the body of Christ. We are unique. Uh, when we talk about the church of Jesus Christ, we're talking about people who Paul says in Colossians 1.13 have been rescued from the domain of darkness. That's what he's done. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We start out in this world on, uh, on a really bad note. We start in the kingdom of darkness. We are born in sin, the Bible says, and there's nothing, nothing we can do to change that. We are helplessly lost, the Bible says. Um, we're born sinners. And we can try as hard as we can to be good enough and earn God's favor, and maybe, maybe one day, you know, he'll, when we are standing before his presence, he'll weigh our good works against our bad works and say, well, I think you're good enough to come to heaven. And the Bible says, no, that's not how it works. We will never be good enough to get ourselves out of the domain of darkness. And that's why it says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his, of his beloved son. How did he do that? Can God just, you know, wave his hand and forget about our sin and Forget that uh, we're born sinners? Of course not. He's a holy God, and he requires a payment. And so Jesus, his beloved son, stepped from the throne of glory and came to this earth, became fully humanity, and he died on a cross to pay for our sins, to satisfy God's righteous demands of a payment that's necessary. 
And then he offers the free gift of eternal life to everyone who will receive it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to transfer us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And whosoever, it says in John 3, 16, believes in him will not perish but has everlasting life. We get a home in heaven, but there's something even beyond that. Here in this life, the Bible says that we get to be placed into the most unique gathering of people that has ever existed. It's called the body of Christ. We become members of, the, of, of a gathering of the Trinitarian Godhead. The Trinitarian Godhead. In other words, we become members of the household of God the Father, 1 Timothy 3.15. We become members of the body of Jesus Christ. And we are placed within the temple of the Holy Spirit. We become members of that, that wonderful church of Jesus Christ, of the household of God the Father, of the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church of Jesus Christ. And as born-again believers placed into this household, into this body, into this temple, at the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we become part of something so unique, so glorious, so wonderful that um, I think Satan does everything he can to try to get us to minimize it, uh, to, to, to marginalize that idea of being part of the household and the body and the temple. Now, we may define ourselves in many different ways. Americans, our nationality, or where we're from, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, from the Midwest, or wherever, we may... We may define ourselves as Wahoos or Hokies or Hoosiers or Huskers, which I prefer not to, or, um, um, you know, all sorts of different things. We have a unique um, ethnic heritage, each individual here. We have a unique educational background. We have, um, we have a unique fingerprint. But the most important and most defining thing about us, that is, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a member of the Trinitarian Godhead, the, the member of the household of God the Father, of the body of Jesus Christ, the Son, of the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is our identity. Uh, that is the most defining thing about us. An old uh, preacher from London, a generation ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said this, our greatest need is to recapture the New Testament teaching concerning the church. If only we could see ourselves in terms of it, we would realize that we are the most privileged people on earth and that there is nothing to be compared with being a Christian and a member of the mystical body of Christ. There is nothing compared to being a member of the mystical body of Christ. Do we see the value of the church? And again, here at Fellowship Bible Church, that's one of the things we want to have as a, as a core value, to help each other see that important, um, that important placement, uh, that spiritual placement that we have the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. Uh, this past year, I had the privilege of uh, going through teaching a little bit on the doctrine of the church to a group of young people. And uh, recently, uh, we, some of us regathered, and we had a conversation about uh, the value of uh, the local church. And and what they gained and some of the things they learned. And I wanted to share that conversation with you here. 
And as they share this on, on screen, on video, um, listen to the key themes that, that, um, that come up. Listen to what they have to say. I would think for me it was, like, especially coming out of COVID, um, uh, you know, you have a lot of people that do a lot of home church related things and think that that's good enough. And for me, after we had to do a little bit of home church with COVID, it, going through this class helped to remind me that being with the body of Christ is super important, like to be around people that can help teach you things, help to motivate you and like be there for you in your darkest moments and your highest highs and just like help like go through life together. And that's something that you can't just do in your home. If I'm a part of a just say a small group or a, um, you know, just a gathering of, of friends, then we get around and, you know, talk about the Bible every once in a while. Why is that not sufficient? I think it goes to accountability. When you have a local church, particularly one like Fellowship Bible Church, um, when we're elder-led mm -hmm. and elders are selected using um, First Timothy or Titus 1 particularly, and there's a list of qualifications that are high and above reproach. When we look at those and we ask those people to lead us and we're gonna to submit to their leadership, not only do we have accountability, but we have people who are pouring into us mm -hmm. as they're willing to submit to God's authority. This idea of servant leadership and you know, um, Christ-like elders that, that also respect God and his word and, and encourage us as the body to get involved in his word and, and stay you know, connected and stuff, I, I just find that super impactful and something I didn't have growing up. Not just music. I mean, I feel like people say that a lot, that it's that worship's more than music, and you're like, oh yeah, you can sing for the Lord and you can dance for the Lord. Mm -hmm. But like the history of worship and how before they even did sing songs, how they still worshiped God. And uh, just that we kind of can take that for granted sometimes. It's like, well, I sang a song I worship today, but there's so many other ways and there's a, a lot of depth to worship that I feel like we sometimes miss out on or mm -hmm. we just overlook in our day-to-day -day lives. So, so ca can you worship by yourself though? And what's the value of the corporate gathering of worship? You get that oneness with the body when you're worshiping together. It's very different when you're just at home or even singing and worshiping in your car when you're around other people in the body of Christ where you're like sharing that moment and you're feeling just like hundreds of other believers that are in this with you and you're all corporately worshiping God together. It's way more powerful than when you're just by yourself in your car or at home. It reinforces the concept that I am not an entity of myself. Yeah. I am part of something bigger. I think some of that is we were created for community, right? Community between us and the Lord, but also created for community with each other. So uh, much more so as um, those of us who are now part of a larger family, I think that there's encouragement that we can get from one another. Um, just, just exchanging stories of how the Lord's working in our lives and um, uh, Ephesians 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, a, an admonition to encourage each other through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and telling stories and um, being involved in each other's lives. And I think that's just an outworking of um, the community that the Lord has built because of his son.
And as believers, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to love others like Christ loved others. I mean, Christ's greatest commandment was to love God with everything we've got, and then the second was to love others just as we would love ourselves. And some of the greatest love that I've experienced, and I think we could all say the same, has been from other believers. And that is some of the strongest love that we'll ever feel because it is the love of Christ being lived out in someone else's life. It is overflowing from them because they have experienced the love of Christ in a way that is so deep and personal that we are able to experience that overflowing from them. And if we don't have that Christian community, we don't get to experience God's love the same as if we were by ourselves. What is the purpose of the church in this world? I think at least part of that has to go back to um, Matthew 28, right? Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the, I mean, that was his final commandment, right? Go and make disciples, not just, not, not just, you know, bring people to a, to an understanding of who I am and what I've done for them, but make disciples in um, all that I commanded you. And also, uh, I would say to make make truth known to a world that that is darkened and does does not have this light uh, level of understanding. And the the one thing we all have in common is that we are born sinners. We're um, under condemnation from day one, and so um, we all possess that sin nature, of the flesh. But what What's amazing is, you know, the we all have the same solution too, and I think that's, you know, when we're, um, there's, there's, that's when you boil down to the bare bones facts. We all need a savior, and so the church is is meant to illuminate and to not, you know, not necessarily for. And this is where I kind of, um, uh, this was a misconception I had was the church was, in some ways, for unbelievers too. And this was a huge thing that I never understood, that the church is, is for believers. It's for the growth of believers. The passage that I was actually thinking of next is Acts 20, 28. Um, and this, this reads, Careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing else that God has obtained with his own blood. That's right. And mm-hmm. it's only the church of, the church of Christ that he's... He's bought with his blood, and that's the utmost value. So what do you think are some of the things that keep a church from being what we really are called to be? I think one's pride. Um, We got into leadership a little bit. I think a lot of places, a lot of churches, local bodies that have issues, it really comes down to pride of leadership most of the time. And elder-led churches that have a bunch of people that are accountable to God and to each other Um, pride is something that may not infiltrate as easily. I think another really big one is um, we're in a we're in a culture now and it's not just in America it's all across the world we're incredibly individualistic like with cell phones and internet like we're always having to put out an image we're always focused on who we are what we do and I think churches can kind of fall into that trap where they're trying to like start off well, like point out like this is who we are as a church and this is what we do, but they can get so hung out, hung up on putting out that image of what we are instead of pointing to who God is. I think there's a very big consumeristic mindset within the American church and I don't, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but 
certainly in the American church where we're blessed materialistically and um, you know you can judge you can judge the music you can judge the sermon you can judge the production you can judge any number of things um, that you want to when you you can the appearance the the church the way it feels the but it's all distracting from from who God is like you said that's the ultimate point yeah, so I was thinking um, fear of man instead of fear of God. And specifically, oh, look that. at us on the same page. Um, <laughs> but specifically, culture is now, especially in America, going to church used to be a cultural thing, and now it is not. Christianity, Jesus is not, it's friendly to the culture, and so you see people kind of bowing to what culture has instead of fear of God and what he's called us to be and to stand firm in the truth. On a scale of one to ten, 10 being the highest, one being insignificant. How, uh, what, how does your generation, how would they view, and, and let's start with, the, with say, the, Christi the Christian uh, generation, how would they view the, the, the local church? How, what, what, would, what would be, I don't realize that it's just your opinion, but how would you see that? Say about a four. Okay. I would think a four. Just because, um, it's just been a trend uh, with every generation. You have less and less people our age that stay in church. So they're losing that side of what the value of church is. And it just quickly becomes something that you just check off on Sunday. And you just, like Ben said, ride the high um, until the end of the week and then come back. Or you only go to church if it's something you absolutely need. Like you're at a really low point. And so it just basically becomes like a drug for you. You only go when you need it. You don't go when it's just something that you just need to do all the time. If a friend like that came to you and said, so, so I, 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 I see that you, you're really involved in your church. Um, why? What, 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 why is that a value to you? I mean, I, I would just point straight back, first, first and foremost, to some of the passages we, we talked about of the value that the Lord has for um, his church, his body. And then beyond that, you know, point to the reality of our life and the hopelessness that we have at times. Mm -hmm. And when we're, when we aren't, um, when we aren't in a vertical uh, relationship with God, when we've, when we've strayed, you know, and um, we need to be encouraged and reminded and, and sing with other believers in unity and, and be encouraged in that way. Um, that that Hebrew stand. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that to me is, is the value, one of the biggest values of being amongst other believers is hope. For me, it's, it, it keeps, being in the body of Christ keeps me from being um, complacent and it keeps me from growing bitter. What's important to me about church is that's a way that I can so clearly see God's love for me mm -hmm. with the people that I'm interacting with, doing life together, not only, you know, reminding me of truth, reminding me that God loves me and just how they love me, but also loving me enough to call me out of my sin. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not just warm and fuzzy, but it's like, I love you so much that I don't want you to continue in that. And I think that's what's really key about being part of the church. If every local church could have people like you, that next generation, um, we would leave, I think, very encouraged. So thanks for allowing God to use you to, to, to grow you within the value, to see the value of the local church and be so vitally involved in it. I don't know about you, but I get really encouraged when I see uh, um, young people who are part of the, the body of Christ, you know, the church today, and seeing uh, um, they're going to be leaders in the church tomorrow 
and uh, very, very, uh, very encouraging. Now, a lot of things came up uh, as we had gone through that study and some of the things uh, they were sharing. Uh, one of those themes is the importance of body life, of, of community. We've always said here, as a church gets bigger, it's got to grow smaller. And here at Fellowship Bible Church with our four different services, uh, the Saturday night service and two here in this room and one downstairs and F3, um, we can get kind of spread out and, and it's sometimes hard to get connected with people. And that's why we don't want to see people live in isolation. If this is a value, a core value, love in the church, then how can we help enhance that? How can we encourage that? And of course, it comes down to being a part of, uh, seeing ourselves as part of uh, one another, as uh, a body of Christ. It's kind of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, starting in verse uh, 12, he said this, for even the body is one and yet has many members. And all the members of the body, though they are many, they're one body, and that's who Christ is. For by one spirit, we've all been baptized, all been placed, identified into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. And yet he says, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. He goes on and says, and if the ear says, well, I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of this body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he has desired. That speaks to his sovereign work. And if we were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but there is one body. We're, we, we need to see ourselves as one in Christ. Peter adds to that that he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, above all, keep fervent then in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And then be hospitable to one another without complaint. And as each one has a special, has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Um, one of the one of the best ways that we can get that connection going, that, that body life and that sense of, of community that the young people were talking about, that the Scriptures call us to, all those one another passages, there's 50-some one another's, you know, pray for one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, love one another, all those one another's, um, you know, it's kind of hard to do it. I mean, look at us right now. You, you, you're, there's several hundred people here looking up, up here at me. I mean, that's got to be somewhat discouraging. Of course, there's only one of me looking back at you, and you talk about discouraging sometimes. But body life is when we can get together in, in smaller gatherings of people, where we get to know each other's beyond just our names, where we get to know um, our hurts, our 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 desires of life, our, our joys, where we come together around the Word of God, where we pray together, um, where we just do those one another's together. The value of being a part of a smaller gathering of believers cannot be, um, it, the value cannot be overstated. Now, I'd like to invite, um, as we continue this morning, I'd like to invite a young couple to join me here on stage. 
to talk about the value, so Sarah and Ben Moorhead, they're, in, they're involved in um, various small group uh, gatherings, and that's why I wanted them to come and, and share with us. They're uh, involved in various small group gatherings. Um, ben, Ben's involved with a, a group of guys, about four of the guys, on a Wednesday morning. And um, Sarah, you, you've got some friends uh, that you get together with on a, on a regular basis for conversation, encouragement. Um, you're involved, uh, you've been involved in uh, Women in the Word um, on Tuesdays, but then the, the small groups uh, with that. Uh, you're both involved in a community group together, and even out of that community group, the guys get together uh, on Friday mornings, I think, and gals get together. So uh, let me start with you, Ben. Um, so this is going to be a little different from last night. <laughs> we thrown us a curveball, huh? That's right. Why not? Um, but so, so tell me, so, so you, got, you got a group of guys that you get together with on Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you do that? What's, what, and what do you do? What, what's the point of that? Okay, I'm, I might need more time. Um, <laughs> well, it, it originally started, um, I, I saw a guy that um, I really respected, that I really wanted to get to know on a deeper level, and even, even go more into scripture and live that, like, <clears throat> that really close, you know, side-by-side type uh, life with another guy who I believe is much wiser than me. Um, but whenever I talked to him about, hey, what my vision is, is I want to meet with you once a week, and I want to talk about the hard stuff in life um, and the good stuff in life as well. And uh, I just want to have like a really, really close Christian brother. Um, and then, so we started meeting. We met for about a year and a half, um, just the two of us, and then we invited two other guys in, um, and, and we believe that's been one of the, the richest things that, that we've ever done um, community-wise, and it, I mean, every single week, we meet up at Amherst Diner at 6.30 in the morning, and we just, we don't always go through scripture. We don't always go through the, the hard stuff in life, but um, it really has been building a friendship uh, with each other over time. We play golf together. We, we get together, you know, randomly on the weekends for fire pits. And um, we've done weekend getaways together. And our families are starting to know each other better. Um, and so it, it's, it's... It's enriched absolutely. your life. Sarah, uh, how about you? The Women in the Word um, uh, group that you have been involved with, it's, um, tell, tell me a little bit about the value that that's been for you? Um, I think one of the biggest values is the accountability that I've received in studying the Bible week after week. Um, It's been also really enjoyable for me to be around so many other older women that really love me and care for me and support me. Um, So More than beyond just kind of your your age group and, and group of friends. Yeah, yeah, and it's nice that they have little hearts so our little boys can go there and learn about Jesus. Um, and when we had both of the boy, boys, our community group and also um, a lot of the women and women in the Word um, blessed us with meals and prayer. Um, 
so, baby showers. <laughs> so um, you've been married about six years, a little over six years. Ben, you've got your own business. You've got two little boys, two and a half and ten months old. Uh, I would assume life is pretty busy for you. So uh, and 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 you are part of a a community group that we have here um, that meets. So why why do you find time? I mean, how do you find time to put that in and all the, the small group gatherings? Yeah. Well, first off, shout out to the Mayos because um, that's the group we're in. Hunter and, and Sherry Mayo yep. that have their small group. And uh, so me and Sarah both, uh, when we were single, we were at uh, churches in Raleigh and Richmond and. Um, we were part of, of communities there that were super impactful to our lives. Um, I also was involved in Young Life whenever I was in high school and really saw the value of being in a group of, of people that allowed me to know that being a Christian was okay. Um, and I, I was definitely an outlier in my, in my high school life, but I had a community of folks who uh, let me be known as you know, as a believer. Um, and so we, we made that a priority in our marriage to be in community with folks. Um, for a while, we were doing a, a home church, and that was a, an extremely small um, gathering, and it was really, really rich. And moving into, uh, you know, life in a bigger church, we also wanted to make sure that we wanted to be a part of a community group um, and and be in a place where, again, we could be known as as Christians and known as ourselves and um, you know we could we could share what's what's good and bad we could be supported in those things again with with meals and, and actual physical support but also the, the emotional support of of going through all that stuff you mentioned I mean you say it out loud and it sounds pretty like like a lot um, and so just having that that group of, you know, a family outside of the, the nuclear family right. is also a huge part of it. So, Sarah, um, <clears throat> how many people in these small groups uh, are perfect? <laughs> All of us. <laughs> we work that really hard. That was the wrong hard. answer. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's the beauty is no, no one's perfect, um, so everyone's welcome. And because we're imperfect, we have a really awesome opportunity to... Um, just offer grace to one another and not judge and just accept people for who they are and where they are, knowing that we all make mistakes. We're all, um, maybe not all of us are striving to be more like Jesus, but you know, that's the goal. And so we hope to usher each other into that, that place. The, um, if someone were saying, um, we're asking you, so do you recommend being a part of a small group? Your obvious answer would be. Yeah, do a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and nice if there's uh, child care with it. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, thank you for uh, taking your time to, uh, to be with us. We'll do this again in F2, right? Thanks, thanks. If, um, if you would like to participate in a small group, let me encourage you to do that. Let me tell you how to do that. After the service, um, right out there in the foyer, straight back through those doors, um, is a map and uh, our community group, our small group wall. Right now, we have 19 small groups that still have availability that can grow. I think of uh, those 19, four of those groups have child uh, ministry uh, involved with them. We have uh, something like 45, uh, 46 small groups all told, but 19 of them are still um, available, and I would encourage you to... Um, 
to go and get plugged into a, to a, to a small group. Um, Tim Sanford, our pastor of discipleship and small group ministry, he'll be back there and some people. If you've got questions, and we'll help you uh, maybe find the right location and, and the, the, the time of, uh, of the week, but would really encourage you into that value of uh, being a part of a, of a, of a small group. And um, our um, Fellowship Family podcast that just came out Friday, it's a new podcast family, uh, that is our Family Fellowship podcast, a new one that came out Friday, is uh, focusing on our small group ministry. So take a listen to that as well. Now, I want to wrap up with uh, a couple of more key verses. Um, there's a great verse in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that uh, summarizes, I think, the value of uh, the local church uh, the, and, and the small group involvement. Paul wrote, there should be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And I want to focus on that word care. It's a key word. Typically, the, that word that's used in the various other contexts in the New Testament is used in a negative way. Merimonao is a Greek word, and it's used like, for instance, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, that says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made. No, be anxious, don't worry about anything. And we know that worry is destructive. That's the word that is used, merimonao. And yet here, in this context, Paul is saying, well, th there's one exception to, to be concerned over, to, to stew over, to, to worry over in a sense, and that is one another. Have the same care for one another. Be concerned for one another. And Paul will go on in the very next chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 and unpack what that looks like in the great love chapter. Caring for one another, uh, loving one another. You see, the church is not some place that we attend. It's not, not that building on 3217 Middle Road that we go to for an hour or so once a week. It's a family that we belong to. That was the heart of, of the Scriptures. That's God's heart. He wants us to see us as members of the household of God, as joined body members of, of Christ, Something spiritual and holy is the temple of the Holy Spirit, a family of faith, brothers and sisters coming together to love God and love truth and grow in our love for our families and our love for the body of Christ. Um, it, it is crucial. It's crucial because we need it in our spiritual growth. Um, our spiritual growth is hindered if we live in isolation. Uh, it, it is just not the way we've been designed. God didn't design us to live in isolation. He designed us to be connected in this, as the old hymn says, in this mystical sweet communion of the body of Christ. I, I don't know how to emphasize it all the more, but it's right there in the Scripture. If we understand our identity as members of the household of God, as, as members of the body of Jesus Christ, as part of the temple of the Holy Spirit here on earth. There is nothing like the church of Jesus Christ. And our, our spiritual life depends on our involvement and our connection with one another. 
imperfect as we are, sinners coming together, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and that fruit of the Holy Spirit lived out in our life, the love of Jesus will be poured out and will grow together as a body of Christ. But not only that, we are here on earth. One day, we'll all be up in heaven. And uh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But we're here on earth. And uh, it was Jesus who said in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. As we study the book of Acts coming up shortly, um, Jesus told his disciples, go into the world. Be my witnesses. Live out in a compelling way the reality of who you are and your identity as the household of God, as the body of Christ, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when the church is functioning like God has designed the church to function, my oh my, does the world take notice? A second century Christian philosopher by the name of Aristides wrote a very moving apologetic about the church. He said this, They walk in all humility and kindness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan. They distribute liberally to him that hath not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were their own brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit of God. But when one of their poor passes away from the world, and any of them see him, he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, they all provide for his needs. And even towards the world, if there is among them a man that is needy and poor, and they have not an abundance of necessaries, these Christians fast two, three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. The world perks up and takes notice of that. Seventy years after Aristides wrote that, another Christian apologist, Tertullian, wrote these words in his famous work, Apologeticus. He said, we are a body knit together as such by a common religious profession, by unity of discipline, and by the bond of a common hope. And it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. What is that brand? See how they love one another. See how they would die for one another. That's the body of Christ. It's not a place we attend. It's a, it's a family we belong to. And there's, I'm sure the church is, the body of Christ has given the world a lot to distinct, a lot to criticize. There's no question. We are imperfect people. We are sinners every day in need of God's grace. But man, oh man, when the church of Jesus Christ is functioning like it should and has its priorities right and is growing in their love for God and is deepening their understanding of God's truth and is focused in their family of, of, of loving their families and then loving the church like it should, the world will take notice. The world will take notice. We read earlier from 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to close with what Peter said, starting in verse 9. You, the church, you, 
You believers in Jesus Christ are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're here for. The world doesn't know Jesus. We do. We're the body of Christ, and we're here to proclaim his excellencies. For once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he says, so beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul and keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Jesus is coming again. He's going to visit this world once again. Will this world glorify God? Are there people in our sphere of influence who don't know Jesus today, but as they observe how we function as a church, as we live out the compelling witness of being the body of Christ, the household of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, will they come to see Jesus? Next week, we'll wrap up our core values by talking specifically about how we do that as a church, how we love the world. Folks, there's nothing like the church of Jesus Christ when the church of Jesus Christ has functioned as we should. May God give us grace to do that here at Fellowship Bible Church. Would you bow your head, please? Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity today to put just a little bit of a a focal point here on, on something that is so near and dear to your heart. Lord Jesus, you came to this earth and you died. You shed your blood to redeem us out of the the domain of darkness, to transfer us into your beloved kingdom of light, that we are are people of the light, we are people of life, living in a world of death. And Father, you have directed in your word how we are to function as a body of Christ, as a local church, and I pray, Father, that you will help us to uh, be ever attentive to your word, that we will live out in a compelling way to one another in love and to this world as well. That we'll reveal the excellencies of who you are. Fulfill our calling until we all gather together in glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.